There's been a lot of commentary around the critical problems in Alice Springs and what can improve the situation in the longer term. And certainly alcohol is a big problem. And though alcohol restrictions appear to be bringing some immediate results, the Indigenous leader and voice supporter, Noel Pearson, has once again raised the role of education as central to solving the problems there. In a Canberra Education Conference speech this week, Noel Pearson argued that poor and disadvantaged children are being particularly let down by the lack of explicit instruction in schools. He castigated progressive thinking, which he blames for a failure in teaching methods for disadvantaged kids across the country. He pointed to the need for learning systems with direct and explicit teaching, citing a new model being rolled out by Catholic Education in the Archdiocese of Canberra-Goulburn. To bring you a little more information on this program and how it differs to others, I'm pleased to welcome Eleanor Douglas, who set up the Knowledge Society five years ago, a company specialising in education program design and who was involved in this new program, and Ross Fox, who's Director of Catholic Education in Canberra-Goulburn. Thank you, you, Geraldine. Ross, tell us about the program, if you would, called Catalyst that you've rolled out across your 50-plus schools. Well, Geraldine, it's ultimately about transforming lives through learning. It's got an unashamed focus on high quality learning and teaching in accordance with the best evidence. It may surprise some people to hear that unfortunately many myths are pervasive in education and when we sit down and look carefully at the evidence uh, it's very clear that most brains of children learn the same way and that there's a way we can respond to how children's brains learn through great teaching. And so that involves things like explicit and direct instruction. And so we've we've set some bold goals for ourselves. We want great teaching happening in accordance with the best evidence in every one of our thousand classrooms. Um, so we've started that. It's uh, There's a lot I could say. It's very much predicated on high-quality professional learning for every uh, teacher. Uh, and we've begun the journey about two and a half years ago, and we're already seeing great progress. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to come, and I, I appreciate that it's a broad topic and we're trying to distill it, but when you were writing recently, you, you're talking about embracing high-impact, explicit instruction, an approach partly embedded in old-school teaching methods. It shuns student-led and inquiry-based learning in favour of a direct traditional instruction style. What do you mean? There's about a million minutes of a uh, student's career at school and we've got to treat each one of those minutes in a very precious way. So we need, as uh, Siegfried Engelman said, to be desperate in the efficiency of learning that we provide in our classrooms. And so there is very clear evidence that if you want a student to know something, the best way to get them to know that is to tell them what you want them to know and get them to practice uh, with that knowledge and then help them to, as far as possible, transfer that knowledge into long-term memory so that it's at their disposal automatically for their thoughts, for applications, for their skills uh, to inform those things. So explicit and direct instruction is the most efficient way to help students know things, and with that knowledge they can think things that they weren't able to think before. As opposed to what? Well, uh, inquiry learning might often be characterised as starting from students' questions. So literally uh, not having uh, a clear agenda for what students would learn and letting them ask the questions and then asking them what they might know. And the danger there is that 
in a classroom environment, if students are asked uh, what they might know about something, all the other students are listening, and it's just as likely that they'll hear and learn and remember things that are wrong about the topic, that the, the information is coming from students who are novice learners, not from teachers who should be expert learners and uh, leaders of learning. And so you have a risk that actually the things that students remember and learn are flawed and in error. Okay. Now, Eleanor, you've set up the Knowledge Society, which is this company about educational design. You've helped devise this program that's rolled out to teachers. Why is it necessary to re-educate teachers who, after all, are coming with degrees from universities in teaching, aren't they? Yes, they are coming with degrees in education, but unfortunately they're not coming with degrees um, in education that focus on the science of learning. So we actually have a body of knowledge called the science of learning and another body of knowledge called the science of reading. And whilst we have some of the most committed and hardworking teachers in the world, they've been denied this knowledge in their university degree. So what Ross wanted to do was make sure that his 2,500 teachers got the professional learning that they should have got at university but aren't getting well, what, what, what do you so mean? they could become better teachers. What, what do you mean they've been denied? Well, uh, most Australian education degrees, Geraldine, if I refer you to a report called Short Changed, it just the fact that 92% of Australian um, primary school education degrees do not have sufficient instruction on how to teach reading, which of course reading is the gateway to learning. And we don't even teach our primary school teachers reliably how to teach reading. So the first thing that Ross wanted to accomplish was to make sure that every teacher in his system had the best access to the best knowledge and practice of how to teach reading. And this is where Noel Pearson's point comes in, that the first thing is to understand how the brain learns and how the brain learns to read. But then you need to give teachers a really good scaffolding and support and in actual fact scripts and lessons so that they don't have to do the work of designing and writing all their own lessons. Geraldine, I think your listeners will be very shocked to know that the average primary school teacher is now writing about 700 of their own lessons a year, whereas before the 1980s and 90s, all of those lessons were given to them at the school or the system level and they were then delivering the lessons, but they didn't have to work out what to teach and how to teach it. They were given that guidance and support and they also had a more, um, they had a different type of more apprenticeship model of, of education okay. uh, degree. Now, reading is such a controversial topic. I can feel the text starting to flood. Um, so are you conscious when you're stating some of those statistics like 92%, you're buying into a very controversial, very debated, it's almost like a culture wars discussion, this, isn't it? Well, there's a science of reading, Geraldine, and then there's a lot of ideologies and idealism about reading. So there is a view that has proven, has been uh, scientifically debunked. You sure you're not in the ideology as well? I suppose I've got to ask that. No, actually not. No, no, no. I mean, I think this is what's so shocking to people like Noel Pearson and others is despite repeated reviews, you know, you you could line up 
the serious experts, um, the Bill Loudons, and Mark Scott is dealing with this at the moment in the current initial teacher education review. It doesn't matter how many government reviews come out in Britain or Australia and confirm that there is a body of knowledge that's a science. Nonetheless, um, our systems allow a more ideologically tinged view to, to dominate. The good news is that South Australia has changed its reading instruction through the implementation of the phonics check. Western Australia is getting more explicit about its expectations. So is New South Wales. Tasmania is looking into this. It's, it's moving fast in the direction of the science. So that's fantastic news. But Ross has done this in the most holistic way of anyone in the country in terms of the quality of the teacher education he's provided. And what are you seeing, Ross? Because it's only been, as you say, there for a couple of years. Um, and I don't think the independent reviewers have released any formal findings yet. What are you seeing on the ground? I mean, with, say, NAPLAN testing. Yes, it's early days, Geraldine, and so we're cautious about claiming progress prematurely. However, in the last two years on NAPLAN reading in Year 3 and Year 5, we have seen statistically significant improvement at system level. At, an, at a classroom level, we're seeing on a number of uh, objective tests uh, improvement in student achievement by a grade level or two. Um, it is important to say reading should not be reduced to simplistic ideas about phonics. Reading is a really complex process, but reading is about a student or a child being able to decode words and connect those words to the vocabulary and concepts and background knowledge that they know. And then they'll be off on a journey of learning a rich, in, you know, rich potential inquiry uh, based on what they can read and understand. I think there's also very much um, a question of an oral pathway, isn't there? Yes. Uh, develop that for us, please. Yes. So one of the most important preconditions to being able to acquire the skill of reading is the oral language capacity of children. And this is one of the areas where in Australia we're not doing a good enough job. We're not giving enough support to our teachers and scaffolding them to develop the oral language of children because you need to have a certain number of words and a certain number of sounds and a knowledge of the fact that words are composed of different sounds in order to be ready to read. And so you can't just start kids to, uh, learning reading unless their vocabulary and their knowledge of words is developed. So these are some of the precursor um, skills that make reading acquisition speeded up. But isn't isn't the young the young brain just so exceptionally plastic that they make the most profound progress in that first year? No, so a lot of children are now turning up to to kindergarten and into school without very much vocab. So in a lot of disadvantaged communities, children are coming with very few words. So then the first task of the educator is to build up that vocab so that when they come to reading, they're ready. Yes. Yeah, so, Geraldine, if I could add to that, because uh, a teacher told me um, recently that her experience is even in advantaged families, for whatever reason, that the oral language tradition in the family, the the rehearsal of nursery rhymes, the sharing of nursery rhymes between parents and children, is for whatever reason seems to be diminishing. And so those rich oral language experiences aren't there to that extent. And so I've seen teachers transform because the, 
the I guess the wariness we should have in these early years is that the progress of our students is actually being significant significantly limited by our expectations. And there's a number of teachers I've spoken with who realise that we should be speaking to children as adults in terms of the sophistication of sentences, the vocabulary that we're using, to give them access and exposure to that. And then, as you say, they make amazing progress. They take that vocabulary, they use it in all sorts of interesting and creative ways, but it's giving them that first access to that. And that oral language foundation is necessary and essential to make good progress in early reading. Uh, so, look, yeah, go on, uh, Eleanor. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to add that this is one of the core tenets that we learn from the science of learning, that speaking and listening, to your point about early progress, speaking and listening are biologically primary skills. Humans do not have to be explicitly taught to speak and listen if they're in language-rich situations. So if parents are talking all the time and singing and doing nursery rhymes, there's no need to do any explicit teaching. But when we have children presenting at school who haven't had that oral language development, then we must step in and develop it explicitly. So that's knowledge that's really important. And that reading is not biologically primary knowledge. We learn that it's secondary, biologically secondary. It's part of a sophisticated culture. And so we have to then, all reading needs to be taught explicitly. Now, 40% of children will learn to read no matter which method of reading instruction they're exposed to. But of the balance of the other 60%, the number of those that will get to fluent reading depends on the quality and efficacy of the instruction. And that's exactly what Canberra Goulburn have done. Oh, well, that's... Look, I'd love to be sitting in uh, class and observing all of this. Um, thankfully, that's a little bit behind me and my children now. But, <laughs> no, but you've got grand. Uh, I know, I know. I'm listening with great interest, believe me. Look, thank you both very much indeed, Eleanor Douglas and uh, Ross Fox. Thank you. Thank you, Geraldine. Eleanor Douglas is from the Knowledge Society. It's a company that specialises in educational program design. And Ross Fox, Director of Catholic Education at Canberra Goulburn. And I don't have to welcome your texts. They're all coming in. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.